Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you are watching the Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest from the world of Web3. And while I know it may not seem like it's the greatest lately, we are still here to keep you updated on everything going on in the markets so that you can be an informed investor, participant, or builder. Of course, I am joined every single Wednesday here on the Aftershock with my co host, Richard. Richard, how are you today? You know, hanging in there. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to the Texas Blockchain Summit in Austin last week, and I felt really good about the conversations around um, what's to come next, because unfortunately, with everything that just happened with FTX, regulation is inevitable. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing, but I do think the voices in the room that need to be discussing how to bring in regulation without stifling innovation is going to be important. And I left that conference feeling uh, encouraged by what people who understand what's going on in the world of crypto is is trying to bring forth as it relates to regulation. So I think that was probably the the high points of, of the last week and in, in all of the reign of negativity that is out there. But how about yourself? You know, man, I'm just over here trying to put together my uh, my album of FTX's greatest hits because they just keep a coming, don't they? Um, sure it, is, it is going to be a very, very difficult next few months. I can already tell. Um, but we're going to get into that in a little bit here. Um, before we do, I do want to go ahead and remind our friends at home. We do this show every single week on Wednesdays on YouTube. We also do this through every single podcast platform known to man. So if you listen to your, like, your podcasts on your way to work, you know, while you're at work and you don't want to get caught watching video, you can, of course, tune in that way. But if you are joining us over on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to the channel, like the video, and give us some comments and feedback along the way. We'd really appreciate it. But for now, we're going to dive into this week's Aftershock. Let's get it. The Aftershock. So in the Aftershock this week, we have one big narrative to start out things, and that is going to be Web3's series of unfortunate events. The question being, is it over? And I think it's honestly the question that's on everybody's minds, Rich, because it has been a year of Black Swan after Black Swan after Black Swan after Black Swan after Black Swan. And the question is, how many are in the flock? And from where I sit, we saw it happen with Luna, then Three Arrows Capital, Celsius, Voyager, now FTX. The question is, who's next? And as I'm taking this entire experience apart, I think the answer is it's just continuing to kick the can down the road until it settles. Is that your read, just running it out the gate? There's going to be way more pain. We have not seen the end of it. I think we have weeks, if not months, in front of us of the aftermath that is coming from FTX. Yeah, so we're going to continue to track this here for you at home, but we want to do a quick rundown to see exactly who it is that is at risk next. Because... That information is really important for you, the investor. If you have your money in any of these platforms, you need to stay up on what it is that could potentially be coming. Now, we are going to disclaim this all the way, right? This is not us saying that it's going to happen. This is not us saying that you should, like trying to spread FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's not the point. The point is, is that there are ripple effects happening. There are lots of players that are affected by every single one of these black swan events. 
And we need to take apart and understand just who could be in the fray next. So let's dive into this for a few seconds here and really answer who is most likely to fall next. And the first one is really unfortunate because they're a friend of the, sh the show. We've had them on in the past. Um, and the one that is right now in everybody's minds is BlockFi. And they're saying that because FTX had such a significant share in BlockFi that they're easily going to be one of the first casualties on the chopping block. Do you agree with the take or no? Yeah, I mean, after what happened from the whole Celsius collapse, they had exposure to it. And FTX came in and gave them, I think, a three or $400 million uh, package to, to save them. Now that they're insolvent and bankrupt, the money's not coming from anywhere else. So I, I got to think, and they, they've already halted withdrawals and it stayed that way. So I got to imagine that they're next. So unfortunate to say the least, but it is important that if you have not, if they've not already halted like every single type of withdrawal, that you do take your money out of BlockFi as soon as possible if it's not already off. Now, the next one is going to be one that I'm not going to say I told you so because it is really, really unfortunate. And like, I would not ever wish this type of like economic downturn pain on anybody. But it was one of my predictions the very onset of the year that Solana was going to absolutely get crushed. And just since, since FTX, um, they've had 70% of their TVL wiped because that's how much they were centralized. It's a really important narrative here, right? All of these different centralized entities and the protocols that are centralized in that the majority of the tokens are held by VC firms or held by banking groups, different large entities. If any one of them get hit really, really hard, like FTX, like Alameda, like the amount of Solana tokens that they have dumped just to try and recover their assets to pay back customers and try to like offset their bankruptcies and pay back their debts. It's insane. So I guess my question to you is, can FTX, not FTX, can Solana recover? Is it possible? Or is this entire thing just going to be the downfall of Solana? There's a path to recovering. It's going to have to be from the retail though, as you said, because a lot of the tokens were held by either centralized exchanges, uh, VCs, et cetera. When times get tough in these bear markets, they got to sell off somewhere. And for a lot of these companies, even though Solana's down as much as it is, it's still a profitable trade for them to sell it, even if it's quote unquote at a loss compared to where it was a year ago. So uh, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think you're going to see Solana continue to get impacted in the short run and can it recover out of it? That's just if the community that it has is strong enough uh, for retail to continue to uplift it until eventually you see a new institution that comes in and, and sees a pathway and a future for Solana. But in the short run, unfortunately, it looks like Solana is about to get beat up a little bit more. Yeah, it's really funny that you bring up the fact that people are still trading it, right? Because there is always going to be pain-based pain arbitrage. Like we saw it with Luna, right? You saw a lot of people, even though it was down 99%, after the absolute collapse, the people were still trying to make these like moment to moment trades simply in the interest of getting multiple X's really quick because they knew that multiple people were doing the same exact thing. There may come a time with Solana where you see that exact opportunity. But the bigger takeaway for me on this one 
is very much so the fact that you want to be evaluating where your portfolio currently is from the perspective of what protocols do I currently have exposure to and which of those, um, which of those protocols do in fact show a high degree of centralization. If they are not centralized, if they, or I'm sorry, if they lean decentralized, right? Like a Cardano. I personally believe that the risk against that asset is much lower than one that is centralized. There are a lot of different graphics up on the internet that you can go check out for that, um, especially when it comes to ecosystem plays. But that to me is probably one of the biggest takeaways here. Please be careful if you're investing in ecosystems that have significant exposure to VC capital. Our next one is probably the biggest level of concern that we have. Um, and that is Digital Currency Group. For those that are not familiar with Digital Currency Group, um, they are run by a gentleman by the name of Barry Seibert. And he has basically put together a massive portfolio of companies and really has a tremendous amount of money in the market. And I'm pretty sure that as they've kicked the can down the road here, people like Barry are absolutely hurting right now. And as we heard with the FTX um, you know, collapse, Digital Currency Group was majorly exposed to FTX and Solana. So when all of that happened, a huge amount of their, um, their assets went upside down. Their investments went upside down. The question now is, what will they do in order to control the contagion? Because again, this is what this entire thing is about. It's about the crypto contagion. Kicking the can down the road will eventually find its way to a settling point and it will settle on someone. So in this case, it's different companies that Digital Currency Group either owns or does a ton of business with. But they need to save themselves right now because ultimately all the companies in their portfolio stand at risk if they do not save themselves. So the first at risk is Genesis. And we've heard about this a lot through the last week, but the retail investor at home may not know them well, right? Because they're more a B2B lending solution, but they're the, one of the biggest lenders in the world as far as Web3 is concerned, right? So they're seeking a bailout. Based on the way that it looks like with their liabilities, they're not going to get it. On top of that, because they're in the portfolio of Digital Currency Group, a lot of the investors that Digital Currency Group went to earlier this year to raise a, what was it? It was a $640 million round, giving yep. them a $20 billion valuation. Is that right? Some, some silly like that. Pretty yeah. close to that. So because they did that round earlier this year, now they're going back to those investors asking for more because they need a bailout. Genesis and all of these other little properties that have been super affected are basically counter arguments for every single one of their investors to say, yeah, we don't want to put more in right now. We're not here to bail you out. You got yourself into this mess, figure it out. That brings us to the next thing. If they can't save Genesis and they're going to take that L, what are they going to do? And this is where we talk about probably the biggest threat to the market as I see it right now, Rich. And I want to know what your take is on this because you can take this apart a lot better than I can. But this comes down to Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Potentially because, um, you know, the Digital Currency Group has a massive investment in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. They have two specific routes to liquidation or limiting exposure in order to cover their liabilities. 
how do you see the grayscale part of this playing out? Because I think it's probably the most compelling part of the story. So there's been a lot of question uh, for proof of reserves from grayscale to say like, hey, how much Bitcoin do they actually have? A lot of people have been asking them like, hey, can, can, can you show us? And so, <clears throat> excuse me, it turns out they custody with Coinbase. And so uh, as of September uh, 30th, it showed that the Grace Coin Bitcoin Trust had um, 635, 235, 635, 235 BTC, which is equivalent of about $10 billion. And Grayscale Ethereum has roughly 3,056,833 ETH, which is uh, roughly uh, $3.5 billion. So Coinbase has revealed it. It shows that they have that secure and, and good to go. So that's there. Now, if they have to go start tapping into that, it could cause a chain reaction of others trying to go. And if things get tough, go into that and start pulling some of those funds, some of those billions of dollars from Coinbase. And I don't know if y'all been keeping up with Coinbase. Coinbase is having its own set of challenges. It's down, I believe, like 90% um, from its all time, or from year to date. Um, ben, uh, Brian Armstrong, who's the, the CEO, has been selling his positions uh, that's been available for others to see. Um, and uh, Coinbase isn't looking like it's in the, the best of spots presently. But all that to say is that they do have it under custody. And if their biggest customer, and this is definitely one of their biggest customers, starts pulling money off of their exchange, not only is DCG going to be, you know, already in, in, in have its own challenges. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust have its own challenges because once the price gets to, I believe, 13,500 uh, BTC, they have to start liquidating. They have to start selling just based on uh, how their things are set up. And then, of course, they're now taken away from Coinbase. So that's going to further take away liquidity from that. There are so many chain reaction things that can happen. Again, this isn't to spread FUD. This is to just explain the situation that is coming into the forefront of a real possibility. Not to say that this will happen, not to say that things can't be resolved, but this is a real possibility, which is very depressing, unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, it, it really does suck because, I mean, when you look at all the different properties that are under the DCG umbrella, like the type of damage that could occur is nothing short of catastrophic. Right. If you if you thought that what happened with FTX was bad, it is. This could potentially end a lot of protocols. And it just is because DCG has centralized so many of them. Honestly, due to you know the fact they want to experience these massive gains. That's all it is. Um, but what I will say about the whole, you know, grayscale Bitcoin trust thing is like you have the premium right now on purchasing GBTC through, you know, your preferred broker. It's operating at the, what is it, a 46% premium? It's currently the highest since it was in, since March of 2021. And something. that's saying something, okay? Like they have to raise that discount rate in order to get people to buy it. If this goes down with uh, them basically telling Grayscale, like, 
start liquidating your positions, file the paperwork with the SEC, start liquidating GP, GBDC because you need to limit your reserves and give us cash, the premium naturally has to go up. So they're saying right now, if they were to go that route, the premium likely will go to 87%. And that is just insane to think about. But when I look at what, what Coinbase has already shown that like they back it up, they have it, that actually is a lot more bullish of a signal because it has to be the thing that reminds us that Coinbase's biggest business is Coinbase custody. It's what they do for institutions. So by having all these institutional players holding all their assets with Coinbase, is it risky? Yeah, it is. But ultimately, it provides a much greater degree for proof of solvency. It allows there to be a third party in play that can prove solvency of other institutions down the line. That's something that is like just tremendously important. Uh, but yeah, it's it could get really messy from here. Now, again, that's just DCG. Then there was this entire discussion last week about Silvergate Bank. Richard, you know this story a lot better than I do. But as far as I know right now, this story has returned to a neutral stance because Silvergate did prove that it had the assets to back up all of the you know claims that were being made and that their exposure, while yes, extremely detrimental to their business, it is not going to affect their customers. So for right now, we have a neutral setting. My question to you is, realistically, the, the target behind the scenes here would be Circle. Because Circle does right. all their banking with Silvergate. And I don't want to get too conspiratorial because, again, that pervades FUD. But a lot of people could say that everything that went down with FTX could very easily be attached to a government cons conspiracy here in the United States to essentially do away with stablecoins in favor of a CBDC, which coincidentally just got greenlit and is in a, an official pilot program with Wells Fargo, um, and two other major banks. JP Morgan. So my question to you is, what is the story here? Is Silvergate out of the woods or is there still something that you're looking out for? I'd keep an eye on them. Um, there's a couple of different exchanges that basically said they're not accepting any money from Silvergate. Silvergate has some exposure to FTX um, and Silvergate is one of the two banks that helps to back all of the money that is a one-to-one -one basis for Circle. So Circle can't custody the actual money. It has to go through another bank. Otherwise, it'd be a conflict of interest. You'd have another FTX situation, right? Where you can produce uh, like USDC and then like also be holding the money. Obviously, that's uh, not a, a good model. So basically, they have to, to send it to other places. And one of the banks is Silvergate. So if Silvergate in some scenario or another were to potentially uh, fail, it, it could be the end of USDC, which is not great. The stablecoin, um, one that's been touted as you know one of the safest out there, and a lot of people use, and is arguably one of the "quote unquote" safest stablecoins um, out there. Now, this isn't. Again, there's nothing that says that the Silvergate is not in a good place, or that they can't come out on the other side of this. Um, they are having some challenges right now. It's not to say that they can't come out and they can't, you know, get back to a neutral spot. It looks like they potentially are right now. But if, if again, if somehow Silvergate did fail, that would be detrimental to Circle 
which would then be detrimental to USDC. So I'll just leave that there. We're going to, we're going to watch this. And as there's more updates, we'll, we'll let you know. Yeah. Again, there's just so much to this story and there's still so much that's going to develop. We need to make sure that you at home are staying really tuned into what is going on just for your own protection at this stage of the game. Right. And even if that means understanding what some of the implications may mean down the line, that's why we broke this down today. It's not like all of these pieces are news stories of their own. It's simply that it's one thing to report on it. It's another to understand it. So we wanted to make sure we provided enough commentary for you guys on that before we dive into more of the stories. This is going to be a little bit longer of an episode for those of you that are listening at home, simply because this past week, there's just been so many different stories that we want to make sure that we're giving you a bigger picture as we run into the Thanksgiving holiday. So let's talk a little bit more about these bigger stories. First goes to U.S. lawmakers, and this kind of speaks back to what we were talking about with stablecoins a minute ago. U.S. lawmakers are, in fact, right now calling for crypto controls, and some of them, like our good friend Brad Sherman from California, is calling for outright bans. That's not going to happen because the Biden administration has already said we cannot stifle innovation. Do I think they're going to try to stifle innovation? I absolutely do, but that's beside the point. It just means that bans aren't going to occur. However, at the same exact time, they're introducing the CBDC um, with major banks. It's a big headline. There's a lot of reasons why people are skeptical about it. A lot of reasons why people are wondering if everything is like not so much a coincidence, but being engineered this way. Don't buy into too much of the rumor. Just simply look at the story on its face. Anything you want to add to the story before we go ahead? No. All right. Let's carry this thing forward then. Our next story. This is a big one. Okay. This has been a major talking point in the industry this morning. JP Morgan has officially moved forward and gotten patent approval, I'm sorry, trademark approval for its JP Morgan wallet. So the trademark itself pertains specifically to virtual currency transfer, exchange, payment processing, virtual checking accounts, and financial services. The reason this is an enormous deal is, of course, because Jamie Dimon likes to specifically target cryptocurrency and call it a Ponzi all the time. He has to do that to protect his investors. Because across banking and across TradFi, all of those big investors believe that crypto is a direct threat to the banks. If they're all of a sudden going to adopt that, there's going to be question marks in the air. But I do want to say that like all of these major financial institutions are towing that line while in while the same breath developing stuff like this in the background. The problem is, is that this trademark application gave them way, way, way broader sweeping um, approval than they probably should have received. So Richard, tell, talk to me about the implications behind this one, because it could be really, really big for Chase customers, but it also could have some problems for the industry. <sighs> so the wallet's going to do virtual currency transfer, uh, basically peer-to-peer, imagine Venmo on, on your crypto wallet. Uh, exchange, I mean, your Coinbase is your Kraken, et cetera, payment processing. So uh, our good old friends at Gilded. So if you want to send somebody money in Bitcoin, but then have it immediately transferred into your local currency or whatever that is, basically being able to do that type of thing or paying for something in real time. Um, virtual checking accounts and financial services. I mean, they got the full suite of like all the things wrapped up into their trademark uh, 
they are slowly but surely attacking all the different facets that Jamie Diamond has been saying forever, like Steve just alluded to, uh, is is bad. But now they are putting the infrastructure in place to be able to do all of those things themselves, taking that traditional file over into Web3. They're going to be doing it on their centralized probably exchange slash wallet. I'm very curious to see how this wallet turns out and if it really will be a wallet that they will control or if it'll be a self-custody. I just don't imagine them doing a self-custody wallet. So it's it'll be a virtual wallet, but I guess if they own it, then they're not they're not lying. They're just we're, we're, we're just what getting the next Celsius, but it turns out to be a financial bank and has FDIC insurance. Like, man, I'm I'm so curious to see how this like shakes out, but it's also a huge shock because they've just been talking so negatively about the space for so long. Yeah, no, they are like probably the one business in TradFi that I think right now has the longest diss track on crypto. Um, it's just wild. But when I hear this story, I'm immediately reminded of some stuff that um, Kevin O'Leary, who's been the target of a lot of criticism lately, um, he said a couple of months ago now or a month ago now um, at the Web3 Expo, he was on stage, he was speaking about the current barriers to mass adoption. The biggest one he said is the simplification of the existing wallet process and the way that we onboard people and help them to understand and use wallets today. I think that it is inevitable that we end up running into more custodied wallet solutions. Because frankly, I don't think the majority of people want to take on the risk associated with self-custody. They've grown dependent. It's true. There's no way to look at it otherwise. A lot of society is dependent on institutions. So I think it is inevitable. It's going to be necessary. But having the ability to still self-custody is extremely important. And if you can take the time to learn how to do it, it is immensely powerful for you because you can remain relatively self-sovereign. So my one ask today, because I think that it is a really interesting point, is do yourself some diligence at home over the Thanksgiving holiday, learn about what a ledger is, and start figuring out if self-custody is for you. I personally think that it should be for everyone, but there's a lot of barriers in terms of the ease of use. So let's go ahead and carry this one forward. We got some other interesting stories to get on your radar today. And the big one goes back to our friends at FTX. It's again, like the hits just, they keep on coming. There was apparently an exploiter. Um, they were saying that it was a black hat hacker. They were saying it was a white hat hacker. They were saying it was SBF himself. Um, they were saying it was a disgruntled employee. They have so many bullshit narratives. Let's call it what it is for what happened here. But ultimately, somebody got into FTX through a backdoor and pulled like a ton, like hundreds of millions of dollars of Ethereum out of their business and now have since basically rinsed it, tra uh, transferred it over to Ren Bitcoin and are now moving it through that bridge. It sucks, but it's just another part of this story. Like, we already know that SPF pulled a ton of money off the exchange prior to the announcement of the collapse. Could this just be another installment of it? Who knows? 
But I think the question that you need to ask yourself right now, honestly, is really more so who's to blame. Who's to blame for this all happening? Because I think the second the collapse was announced, this sort of thing was kind of inevitable. A hacker was going to get into the mix. A hacking group might have gotten into the mix. So my question is, who's to blame? Is it Sam? Is it his ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, as we've been hearing about in the post? Is it all the different Black Swan events? Or do we have really only hackers to blame? Give me your take. My take is we don't get here without the other Black Swans, so I'm taking them off the table. If things hadn't gotten this bad throughout the course of the year and we were still in bullish times, I think they FTX does nothing but is able to, to run the legal operation they've been running even longer. And then it's going to be even harder to dismantle and an even harder fall if that's even feasible um, in a different market conditions. So as far as this exploiter, it, 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 could, be any, it could be any of the things that you listed. Um, not sure if Caroline would be able to necessarily hack her way into getting this done. But could Sam have done it? Could someone from the team have done it? Could have just been a, a white or black hat hacker? Sure, I mean, sure. But all the same, it, 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 it's terrible. All the same. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who did it. This is just messing over everyone who's in, involved on the platform, unfortunately. Yeah, look, in our crypto game of Clue that we're playing here, I think that there is no denying that there are no winners, right? Only losers. I would tell you if you have not done your diligence on this story at large, like, and you want to read some really crazy shit over the Thanksgiving holiday, um, you should go try to get your hands on Caroline's Tumblr because that came out. Dude, she was crazy. Like, I know that I shouldn't say that and like that people are going to probably come at me in the comments saying that this girl was crazy. But like, ideologically speaking, there was a lot of questionable shit in the, in the lead up here. Um, and there was definitely a part in it. Was it the lead contributing factor? Probably not. I think that from my perspective, after knowing all that I now know about this story, I would make the argument that Sam got a little bit of a messiah complex and wanted to be the industry savior. And that ultimately was the downfall. You can't kick the can down the road to one party and put all that liability on them. It just, it never works. There've been so many examples of it. Uh, but you're right. I think that you have to put the other black swans aside because ultimately these two people and the people that they worked with at the top, they were the decision makers to take on all those liabilities. So it's unfortunate, but it's an interesting conversation to take apart nonetheless. Now, another quick headline that came out in the last couple of days was that Vitalik is now encouraging safe sex or safe centralized exchange involvement and centralized exchange management via what we've been talking about with proof of solvency. This is really kind of funny to me because Vitalik has, for the last year or so, according to a lot of industry insiders, have been working with different governments on, CBD, on CBDC development, which really says that Vitalik is in favor of centralization. But at the same time, he's coming out encouraging all of the centralized entities to practice relentless transparency. I mean, it's like the, it's the idea of the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? 
I don't know, man. Like, I think if you're going to be a hardcore CBDC person and you believe in centralizedness, it's a path to mass adoption. It's a path to efficiency. There's, there's a lot of pros to going that approach. The things that typically go bad is when people over leverage, when people spend more money than they have. And when you look at, again, the core of why Bitcoin is made and, and all of that, it was to be able to get away from the traditional side of systems that continuously break and ultimately make the world worse. And every time one of these unfortunate situations happens, it usually has to do with over leverage. So adding proof of solvency solves that problem. You, If you are always showing we have this amount, but you're trying to put this much debt or whatever it is, now you have a system of balances and checks to be able to do that. If you go into traditional money right now and you go into real estate, for example, and you try to go and get a loan to do X, Y, Z, the bank's going to do a thorough background check to make sure that you actually can take care of the thing that you say that you can now do. And if, if they can't, they won't let you over leverage or they'll have an asset that they can take back to be able to get some of those assets back. In a lot of ways, where things have been a slippery slope here is because those systems of checks and balances aren't in place, even though they should be through these centralized exchanges, they're really not, aka FTX and Alameda. That's why these bad things keep happening. So you look at proof of solvency and you have that in front of the world, it immediately solves one of those challenges. Yeah, look, I'm, I don't disagree that proof of solvency is a really important thing for centralized entities. I just think that it's kind of contradictory when he's encouraging centralization, but at the same time, almost like encouraging that those centralized authorities are very, very transparent. It seems like it's counterintuitive um, on a certain level, but I'm going to leave it there. I don't need to speculate further on it. The fact is, is he is an advocate of proof of solvency. So let's go ahead into our final story here, um, which again comes as kind of a shock off of our discussion on Circle earlier, right? And that is that Circle has announced they're adding support for Apple Pay. You can't make the shit shit up, all right? Like you, basically what they've done is they've now made it that you can on-ramp into crypto just through Apple Pay transactions off your credit card, your debit card, whatever you want into a wallet that's on your phone or via an exchange like Coinbase or Gemini, if Gemini still exists by the time this video gets out, or Kraken, which I know will still exist because Jesse is crazy. Sorry, maybe exerting a little bit more of my opinion there than I need to, but that's my point of view. What do you think of the fact that Circle is doing this now and trying to be more progressive on the, con the consumer end as opposed to the institutional end? The path to more people using it, that, that path to mass adoption. But I also think that it's going to be interesting to see what types of fees Apple puts on top of being able to pay with Apple Pay. Apple Apple always wants to get their cut. They're always trying to get some money, extra money off off top. So I I really do wonder how that's going to align, and also how I, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just curious of how that's going to align and how how ultimately Apple's going to get theirs from these types of transactions. Yeah, I mean, look, you already know that when it comes to in-app purchases, they fully plan on taking a 30% cut when it comes to NFTs 
Um, but I have to imagine there's going to be a transaction fee at the very least, right? They, it has to happen. So yeah. we'll have to see, but we'll keep you posted. I would say that now is a perfect opportunity for us to not only ask you at home to make sure you like this video because we're putting in an extra long video this week, um, but also make sure that you leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast platform. We'd really appreciate to hear from you and hear what you're enjoying about the show and also what we can improve. So please do that. And we will go ahead and jump into some of the more positive-ish stories on the week because there's a lot going on in the metaverse, a lot going on with NFTs still. Um, and in my opinion, a lot to be bullish about on that side of things. Did Honestly, I think a lot of people would just right now out in the normal world say nothing's good over there. There are still cert like certain silver linings. You just have to be willing to find them. Let's start out with one that isn't a silver lining though. We're going to talk a little bit. Oh, sorry. The next, the next story is the one that is <clears throat> less good. This one's really good. Uh, for Thanksgiving this year, uh, Macy's has announced that they are going to be doing a Thanksgiving metaverse parade, all built in on cyber. This is really, really cool to me because they're saying for every single person that comes in and engages, they're going to be able to get an NFT of their own. And if they vote, they're going to help essentially crown one NFT project that is in this metaverse parade with the ability to have one of their NFTs created into a big float for next year's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So next year at the parade, you may get the chance to see a cool cat in the sky, a boss beauty in the sky, a V friend, a sup duck, or a G money NFT. I think this is really, really creative and I'm really excited to see how it goes. I will definitely be checking this out on Thursday. Will you? Yeah. Uh, I want to see how this goes just because like, I, I know a lot of people who've always imagined themselves actually going to the Macy's Day Parade and to be able to potentially do this in a metaverse way and them now having a way to advertise that they're going to be doing this into the future. This is how you start to get that cross between both you know, AR, VR, and uh, all this happening kind of in real time. So I think this is a really cool precedent because you know I love that word um, that they are trying to start this year. So for your money, which which of these projects ends up getting the float next year? Uh, v friends. I bet Gary, he's already in New York and he has a lot of connections. I bet he really puts in the work to try to make that happen. Yeah, I would suspect you're probably right. Um, the dude just has so much money. He's going to be able to advertise the shit out of this and every single V friend, v friend holder and probably some of their friends are going to be, you know, in this environment, just taking a test run through it. Um, I'll tell you this firsthand. I think on cyber is probably one of the best um, kind of demonstration spaces that exists right now. The tech is so cool. And frankly, I think that when we get to the next evolution of VR headsets, it's going to be even cooler. So I'm excited to see how this one pans out, but let's go ahead to our next story. This was the one that I was referring to earlier, Rich, the one that is less good, um, depending on how you want to view it. I don't think that anybody wishes ill will upon Justin Bieber, but for those that do, they may be looking at this story and being like, wow, what goes around? But in our case over here, we're just feeling for him because Bieber bought a board ape in the middle of the bull run and it was pretty much at the peak. Bought it for about 1.3 mil. And people have been mocking it a little bit today and the last couple of days because it turns out right now in the bear, 
firmly in crypto winter, it's worth about $69,000. So this is like case in point what taking an L looks like. Is there anything more to this story or are we just pouring one out for the homie? Pouring it out. He's not hurting. He's got a lot of money. It just, you know, stinks. So people are looking for stuff to go and talk about. This is one that they can, an easy piece that they can go write about. Because when he bought it, even when he bought this ape, it was at like a three or five X premium that he had to pay for it. So he was just doing it almost like a flex. So it's almost like a, yeah, let's, let's, let's show the world how that panned out. So uh, that, I think that we could leave it there. Yeah. Um, or the last thing I will say about it is like, this is kind of the NFT world equivalent of a celebrity like Justin Bieber totaling a Bugatti. But the difference is, is that this Bugatti can bounce back theoretically in the future. Whereas the Bugatti, if it's totaled, it's totaled. So hopefully for his sake, he holds, he doesn't sell. And Ford Ape does make a comeback at some point, but time will tell. In the next story, we've got news out of Yuga Labs. Um, I called you on this one last week. I thought it was probably one of the biggest stories that flew under the radar. And that was that Yuga Labs officially acquired WeNew Labs. Now, that is a really interesting story for a couple of reasons. WeNew Labs is a major project innovator. They're putting it, I think they have three different um, properties out there. But one of the big ones that they own is called 10KTF. And 10KTF is a store, is a property that people put out. And it's essentially the crossover bridge between metaverse and IRL goods. So creating digital products that feature these characters that you buy as NFTs. Really, really great designs, really great work. I think it's a great premise. And now you guys are going to have access to all of that and will be able to build on it even further. And also, another big prominent project that just launched by WeNew in the last two months, which is Renga. A lot of people love the artwork from Renga. And theoretically, all of that new artwork and character grouping will be able to come into the other side ecosystem as well. So they're kind of just adding to the war chest and continuing to add more characters to this metaverse they're building. I don't know how to feel about how they're continuing to centralize these properties but I do think it's going to be better for their overall content catalog. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I think this could be a really good opportunity. And I think as companies are coming up at lower valuations because of this bear, other companies that do have some liquidity are going to be looking for those opportunities or they're going to be looking for opportunities to combine resources when, when times get tough. and. I think that Yugo was looking for some good opportunities and they found one and they jumped all over it. So uh, congrats to the We News Labs team. Yep, I think Beeple is probably doing um, money angels as we speak in his living room. Um, yeah, to get paid like that after getting paid the way he did on the big you know, piece that he sold at Christie's way back, started the entire NFT movement. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a happy dude right now. No question. But let's go ahead to our next story. And this one is going to be interesting for all of our friends that are Artifact um, Clone X holders and those that are a fan of Jordan and, of course, your Nike Dunks and Air Force Ones and all the others. Um, 
Nike has announced the launch of what they're calling Dot Swoosh, which is a Web3 platform for creatives to basically create NFTs and different virtual clothing items for the metaverse. What I find really cool about this, Rich, is that they did buy swoosh.eth like, I think it was like three months ago, two or three months ago. And when they bought it, a lot of people were curious what they were going to do with it. And if I'm correct, which I hope I am, what you're looking at right now is actually them creating IDs for all the people in their ecosystem that are really just going to be subdomains. I think what you're looking at is only part of swoosh.eth. You're going to be able to get richard.swoosh.eth, but they're going to ultimately keep the .eth part out of their branding. I think it's a bold move. I think it's a really, really smart move. And ultimately, it's Nike's opportunity to onboard a ton more creators who already are obsessed with their ecosystem. So is there something we're missing here? Is there something more to this story that you think people at home should know? Not more other than Nike's investing in Web3. They're doing each steps. They're doing each like next phase of on-ramping into what's going to be the metaverse. And I think they're they're being an industry leader in a lot of ways. I mean, tell me another shoe company trying to do this right now. Clothing brand, major endorsers with other places. Like they they really are taking a, I think, a pretty substantial bet on metaverse, but you also don't see their stock tanking because of it, right? So I think unlike our, unfortunately the friends over at Meta who have been getting absolutely crushed, I think Nike's approach has been a really good one, uh, even through current market conditions. And I think it's going to set them up for a lot of success in the future. So I'm just going to say it. I think it's because Nike has embraced the existing ecosystems. Would you agree or no? Yeah. Instead of, I don't know, trying to make your own fence and box everybody else out there, they are embracing what's out there and getting people hyper excited about things. Yeah. I'm really impressed with the way they've integrated Artifact already and the way they've started to move different Nike Dunks and Air Force One products into the metaverse. They're bridging it the right way and they're doing it in a decentralized way. Like they're, they're making a concerned effort towards keeping it on a decentralized platform like the Ethereum ecosystem. Facebook just, and sorry, Meta just wants to be in their own little world. That's, I think the market is actually showing that the one, one model is more superior to the, than the other. Um, so we'll have to see how it plans out, but I will say, keep your eyes and ears posted on our Twitter. There is a chance that we may be hearing from a representative of their team before Christmas. So little bit of alpha for you, for you there. Make sure you stay tuned. Our next, and I think one of our final stories on the week, is that Sony has officially filed a patent for in-game digital assets. This is huge news if you are a PlayStation user. Richard, I know that you are smiling ear to ear right now, and I want to know what you think of the story because this ultimately affects you way more than it affects me. Yes, as a proud Sony user, aka PS5, shout out to the amazing wife that I had that did so much hunting to get me that thing a long time ago. Um, I love this. I think this is going to be really cool to be able to take some of the assets that I have played with on various games and then potentially being able to use those on other games and then being able to sell it on a potential marketplace. That excites me. I think this is awesome. 
what I will also say is that this does come at really good timing because there's been a lot of talk about how the next GTA is like around the corner. And they're saying that that entire ecosystem is going to be like just completely riddled with NFTs. And I hope that's the case because that would be such a big moment for crypto gaming. And honestly, for everybody out there that's been saying that like crypto gaming will never happen, we, you know, have had many conversations on, on this show about crypto gaming and, you know, hearing from some people in the gaming space that doubt it. This is Sony saying, kids, it's coming whether you like it or not. So buckle up. Take it for what it's worth, man. I'm excited. Our final story on the week uh, comes from our friends at Truth Labs who continue to make their way into the news. This one's pretty damn cool, dude. And like, I know that we've been critical of Goblin Town prior. Um, I think that a lot of the marketplace still is not sure why they love it or not. But throughout the, the expansion of the Goblin Town ecosystem, they've officially now announced what they're calling Goblin Crash. It is a racing game that they are making in partnership with Atari X. Now, Atari X entered the NFT space a little while ago. They have a couple different NFT properties that are available to the market. I personally think this is really neat because if they're able to move out even just a very simple racing game to the marketplace, it's something that can bring joy to the user that owns Goblin NFTs or that owns Grumples or just go, wants to go out and buy one of these Goblin cars. Um, it could be a lot of fun to watch. I personally own a Goblin. I would love to be able to get my hands on one of these cars and be able to go and race in the metaverse. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, but I'm curious to see what comes of it because I know that Atari has been building. I just don't know what they've executed by way of actual NFT playable games. Do you know anything of it? I don't, um, but definitely going to watch out for, for the game. Well, keep your eyes peeled at home, of course. But that is going to do it for this week's Aftershock. Um, I'm going to figure out, there it is, that's the button that I needed. Needed to make sure that we had our, um, our deck off the screen. Any quick reminders that you would like to give um, the folks at home before we wish them a very happy Thanksgiving um, holiday? Richard, do, we, uh, do you want to share anything about the interview this week? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing I want to say, uh, first and foremost, is that uh, I, I do hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. I know it has been a tough year for all of those who are still in the crypto world. And every week lately just feels like its own train wreck. But uh, I still believe we're all going to make it, um, especially the ones who truly are building right now. As much as this, what's happening with FTX is impacting the entire market, uh, there is a path to getting on the other side. We've seen it before, and typically they come out a lot stronger. So just want to give back the positive sentiment and, and say that one more time. Um, but for this week, we had um, a really good interview with uh, Robert Bryan, who is uh, on the team with uh, Karate Combat. If you go to karate.com, um, is competitive uh, fighting in a lot of different uh, ways and they're basically creating a DAO. They're bringing NFTs. They're they're giving ways that people can uh, bet uh, using Web three um, systems and allowing the end user to participate and have a lot more say and ability uh, within the the, the karate ecosystem. So I thought it was a really cool interview and uh, 
definitely uh, think you should go and uh, check it out. They actually have an in-person event in Orlando in December. And um, if, if anyone who listens is out there, uh, go give them a look. So just correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I, as I understand this one, you may have heard of fan-controlled football. It was a really big football experiment they ran, um, giving basically like team ownership to different groups of fans and like some DAOs got involved. Is this basically just fan-controlled fighting, like fan-controlled MMA? Uh, of sorts. So not so much MMA, but it is uh, contact um, um, sports uh, and, and since karate and jujitsu and some other things. But you fans will get to like decide who fights each other. Uh, they can be able to do like bets and things on like the fights and everything else. Um, and they're a really big and growing uh, community on both their YouTube channels, TikToks, everything. Like they get a ton, a ton of views and, and have a lot of engagement. So if you are in at all, uh, if you are in MMA, uh, if you like that kind of fighting, go and check this out. And if, if you like, it, this is something that I think a lot of people will be able to participate in. And I think it's a really big and growing in industry internationally. So um, again, something I, I, it wasn't even on my, really on my radar when I wouldn't check it out. Like I'm, I'm starting to like watch it a lot more myself. So it was pretty cool. Awesome. Well, you can of course look forward to Richard's next interview coming out every single Monday here at CryptoCurrent. That is going to do it for us on this episode of the Aftershock. We appreciate you sticking around with us for this little bit longer episode. We hope that you learned a lot. We hope that you're a little bit more connected this week. Um, please rejoin us next week for the next edition of the Aftershock. And we will see you after the Thanksgiving holiday. Enjoy it. Practice some gratitude. Spend some time with your family. We'll see you next time. Stay Cryptocurrent. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. 